Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Line of Lamb Ministries, and I want to welcome you to our program. We are in a study of the book of Jeremiah. Our program is called The Expectations of Jeremiah. We're looking at all of the prophecies that Jeremiah spoke of from the Babylonian captivity to the end of the age. And we are in the midst of that study. In fact, uh, in this program, we are at chapter 34. And if you wouldn't mind, <clears throat> turn there with me and let's begin uh, right away. I, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 34, beginning of verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and all his army, and with all the kingdoms of the earth that were under his dominion, and all the peoples were fighting against Jerusalem and against all its cities, saying... Now, this is the final part of Jeremiah's life. The king of Judah at that time is Zedekiah. You're going to hear a lot about him in this particular uh, chapter. This is the final moments when Jeremiah is telling Zedekiah, you need to surrender. It's inevitable that God's going to grant, uh, give Jerusalem and the land over to the Babylonians and to King Nebuchadnezzar. And, of course, Zedekiah doesn't want to do that. And so this is the dialogue that's going to take place, and this is how the discussion goes. Verse 2, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. And you will not escape from his hand, for you will surely be captured and delivered into his hand. And you will see the king of Babylon eye to eye, and he will speak with you face to face, and you will go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you will not die by the sword. You will not die in peace. And as spices were burned for your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so they will burn spices for you. And they will lament for you. Alas, Lord, for I have spoken the word, declares the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah, in Jerusalem. And when the army of the king of Babylon was fighting against Jerusalem and against all the remaining cities of Judah, that is Lachish and Azekah, for they alone remained as fortified cities among the cities of Judah, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were in Jerusalem to proclaim release to them that each man should be set his male servant and each man his female servant, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, so that no one should keep them, a Jew his brother, in bondage. And all the officials and all the people obeyed who had entered into the covenant that each man should set free his male servant and each man his female servant, so that no one should keep them any longer in bondage. They obeyed and they set them free. But afterward, they turned around and took back the male servants and the female servants whom they had set free and brought them into subjection for male servants and for female servants. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I made a covenant with your forefathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years, each of you shall set free his Hebrew brother, who has been sold to you and has served you six years, 
and you shall send him out free from you. But your forefathers did not obey me or incline their ear to me. And although recently you had turned and done what is right in my sight, and each man proclaiming release to his neighbor, and you had made a covenant before me in the house, which is called by my name, yet you turned and profaned my name. And each man took back his male servant and his, each man his female servant, whom you had set free according to their desire. And you brought them into subjection to be your male servants and female servants. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming release, each man to his brother and each man to his neighbor. Behold, I am proclaiming a release to you, declares the Lord, to the sword to the pestilence, and to the famine, and I will make you a terror to all of the kingdoms of the earth, and I will give men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between its parts, the officials of Judah and the officials of Jerusalem, the court officers and the priests and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, and I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life, and their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, I will give into the hand of his enemies, into the hand to seek their life, into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which has gone away from you. Behold, I'm going to command, declares the Lord, and I will bring them back to this city, and they will fight against it and take it up and burn it with fire, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. Now, I wanted to read the whole chapter in, in context so you get the whole flow of what Jeremiah was told to, to do. The first message that he gave to Zedekiah was, look, Zedekiah, um, the city's going to be taken by the Babylons you're going to be taken captive. However, let me give you the consolation prize. They're not going to kill you. Uh, they are going to take you back to Babylon. And in fact, you're going to see King Nebuchadnezzar face to face and eye to eye. Um, and from that position, you're going to remain there a captive until you die. You're not going to die by the sword. And essentially, um, he, in, in a sort of strange way, he's trying to say to Zedekiah, you know, do what I'm saying and you'll, you'll spare your life. Um, and the, in fact, this is what did happen to Zedekiah. When he, he was taken back to Babylon, as we'll find out. And he did live and he died in Babylon. Of course, before he died, because of this nonsense that took place, they're going to put King Zedekiah's eyes out. And so he's going to go and, and the last thing he's going to see is King Nebuchadnezzar. And that will be the last thing he will see. He will, well, I take that back. He's going to see his, his sons die. And then he's going to have his eyes put out, and he's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. That was the punishment that was on him personally. Now, the Lord set up with the rest of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the cities that he said, look, I'll make a covenant with you. If you'll obey me, then I'm going to spare you from the Babylonians. You know, you too will not lose your lives and so forth, and, and, and eventually you'll be free from the Babylonians. You won't be taken captive for all of your lives. And he said to do that, 
I'm asking you to take your Hebrew and, and uh, male and female servants who, are, who owe debt to you, and, and uh, you know, there's a law for Hebrew slavery that would handle indebtedness issues. And he said, I want you to release um, all of your servants. I want you to release those that, are, that have become servants to you. Let them have freedom because you're all getting ready to deal with the Babylonians, and let's let everybody be free to deal with it. Um, and at first, um, the people of Judah said, hey, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And they entered into a covenant uh, with God. Now, you hear bits and parts of this covenant that they entered into. Let me review that with you a little bit because it's kind of interesting. And it actually goes back to the days of Abraham. When God made a covenant with Abraham um, uh, that we find there in Genesis 15, um, God instructed Abraham to set up a series of sacrifices. And there were five specific sacrifices where there are different animals and birds, and they were flayed open. And meaning they were cut down through, you know, cleaved down through the middle, and then the, each of the parts were laid off to the side. And there was a corridor, and it was then the person making the covenant would walk down through this corridor with these sacrifices on either side. And the idea, the way the covenant used to work, was that both parties would walk down through there, and having walked through there, they would make this promise to each other. They'd make a covenant um, there, and they would have a provision in the covenant that if they failed to keep the covenant, may they be flayed open like these sacrifices been flayed open. And they would make a feast out of this whole thing. And apparently this took place throughout the land of Israel, the inhabitants of, of Judah and so forth. They did this. They took a calf. And uh, they would bring a couple of calves in, bring the people in. And I guess they used several calves for this. They, they cleaved the, the animal down through the middle, laid it apart. People walked through the midst of it. They had this feast to make this covenant with God to release um, the prisoners uh, from it. They made this agreement to do it. Well, like I said, they had the feast. They, they did flay the sacrifices. They did go through. They did make the agreement. And then after they had done that, then they reneged on the agreement. And so the Lord said that what he was going to do to them was since they had entered into this agreement and they had profaned it and profaned his name because he made this agreement with them, that he was going to issue a special kind of release for them. Whereas they released their servants, but then took them back. He said he was going to do a release for them. And the release he describes for them, he says, I'm going to release the sword to you. I'm going to release to you um, fire. I'm going to release desolation. I'm going to allow the enemy to have their way with you. I'm going to release the enemy to do what they want with you. And so there is this huge uh, event that takes place here where Instead of Judah having any um, mercy from God in this situation, since the, the enemy was coming to punish them, they chose not to seek the mercy of God. They thought they could outsmart God. They could outsmart the Babylonians. And all they did was outsmart themselves. And by the way, there's just a huge spiritual lesson 
um, in that for all of us as believers of the Lord. And the lesson, uh, simply put, is if God, if you find yourself in a set of circumstances where, um, let's just put it simple, you, you mess up. You really mess up a part of your life. Um, and that could be a whole host of, of events. But, but let us say that you know it's a mess up in your life. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. God is going to present himself to you to be merciful to you. It is not his intention to punish you forever. Um, and he's going to try to find a way that will restore you and bring you back because anytime he does a punishment, he's like a parent that loves a child. The punishment is to train the child to, to do good. Um, and it's not just to be vindictive or, or to be uh, punitive. Um, so he's going to give you some kind of way um, to receive mercy from God. There's going to be a moment that you could have, that you could be reconciled to it. There's going to be a moment for you to be remorseful. There's going to be a moment there for you to make amends, to make restitution, whatever the case may be. And then if you feign to do that, if you start to do that, and then you renege on that agreement to do that, let's say that you have an opportunity to make restitution, and then you don't. Let's say that you have an opportunity to show remorse, and then it turns out you don't show remorse. Whatever the case may be, if you appealed for the mercy of God, and he offers it to you, and then you renege on that, then you're definitely going to receive punishment uh, for it. You're going to pay a, a, an unbelievable price uh, for that. Essentially, the Lord, uh, let me just put it this way, um, you know, as God describes himself, that he's not mocked by sinners, um, that the guilty do not go unpunished. And yet God, who says the guilty will not go unpunished, he's, he had earlier said he forgives iniquity, forgives transgression, forgives sin, and offers mercy and compassion. You know, all of those things are part of God, and he's the only one who can balance them in a just and righteous way. We, we can't do that. Only he is able to do that. But if we offend even that, it says then that we definitely get justice. Um, and that's essentially what took place here with the house of Judah. They had this last moment uh, with Zedekiah the king and with the people, and Jeremiah came to them telling them, what was the path that they needed to follow uh, to receive at least some kind of benefit, mercy and compassion from God, and they reneged on the agreement. And so they've been released unto uh, this kind of judgment. Now that was those folks there, but we're going to hear about another group of folks where it's going to be a little bit different for them. And so now that takes us to chapter 35. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, uh, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. Then I took uh, Yazalmiah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, 
and his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of another name I have difficulty pronouncing, and the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials, which was above the chamber of Maseah, the son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. Then I set before the men of the house of the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups, and I said to them, Drink wine. But they said, We will not drink wine, for Yonadav, the son of Rechav, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall not drink wine, you or your sons, forever. And you shall not build a house, and you shall not sow seed, and you shall not plant a vineyard uh, or own one. But in tents you shall dwell all your days, that you may live many days in the land which you, where you sojourn. And we have obeyed the voice of Yonadav, the son of Rechav, um, our father, in all that he commanded us, not to drink wine all of our days, we, our wives, our sons, and our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, and we do not have vineyard or field or seed. We have only dwelt in tents and have obeyed, and have done according to all that Yonadav, our father, commanded us. And it came about when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the land, that we said, Come, and let us go to Jerusalem before the army of the Chaldeans, and before the army of the Arameans. So we have dwelt in Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go, and say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction by listening to my words, declares the Lord? The sons of Yonadav, the son of Rechav, when he had commanded his sons not to drink wine, are observed. So they do not drink wine to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not listened to me. And also I sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them again and again, saying, Turn now every man from his evil way, and amend their deeds, and do not go after the, the other gods to worship them. Then you shall dwell in the land which I have given to you and, you and your forefathers, but you have not included, in, inclined your ear or listened to me. Indeed, the son of Yonadav, the son of uh, Rechav, have, obeyed, have observed the command of their father, which he commanded them, This, but this people has not listened to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing on Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, but they did not listen, and I have called them, but they did not answer. Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the command of Yonadav your father and kept all the commands and done according to all that he commanded you, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Yonadav, the son of Rechav, shall not lack a man to stand before me always. This uh, particular group, these Rechabites, this whole family, had had this father who had given a command to his family. Now, the command was, don't drink wine. Don't have anything to do with drinking of wine or building a vineyard or anything to do with it. Now, 
We don't know exactly why this father gave this command. We could sit here and speculate for a little bit. It could be that he had observed uh, throughout the land of Judah at that time that certain men would uh, get themselves intoxicated and that that was a first step toward other misbehavior to the Lord, um, committing adultery, thievery, other, other unlawful acts. And he had interpreted that, by the way, if I could just keep my children from participating in that, I will keep them safe. And so he, whatever the reason was, uh, and my speculated reason is the best guess at this point as to why he did that, um, went and had success and his family. And when it came now time for the Babylonians to lay siege to, to, um, to the land of Israel and to Jerusalem and so forth, Jeremiah learns of them and their testimony. And so he asks them to go to Jerusalem and speak to their fellow citizens in Jerusalem, cautioning them and trying to get them to turn, repent, and turn back to obeying the Lord and use their own life example that they had this testimony of keeping themselves from all of that misbehavior uh, by not drinking wine and to testify to the people there uh, to do it. Now, we all know the end results. What happened with the Rechabites is the same thing that all the prophets had with Israel, Jeremiah had with them. The people did not repent. They didn't listen to the prophets. They didn't listen to Jeremiah. And they wouldn't listen to their own fellow citizens who had an example of obedience. They just couldn't get it. They just didn't want to get it. And so they continued to misbehave. But as a result of what took place, because of their testimony of obedience, because of their testimony of honoring their father, Jeremiah then make a proclamation to them from the Lord that the Rechabites would remain uh, before him forever. Now, they are the shining example in the midst of all of the history of Israel of being righteous men who kept themselves apart from the world and kept themselves unto the Lord and were preserved and for it. They set as an example for us to that whenever we speak of those that would be righteous and obedient, may you be as a Rechabite. In other words, we need to be Rechabites. Um, and that the testimony behind it is that they are the ones who obey. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, I think, uh, you know, this whole story here is just a little beyond the edge. I want to tell you about something else about that. Maybe you didn't know this, but Donald Trump, the president of the United States, made a command for his family. And to this day, he himself adheres to it. He commanded that his children were not to consume any alcoholic beverages and that he does not consume alcoholic beverages. They don't drink wine. They don't drink liquor. And he also went so far as to say, you will not participate in any form of drugs whatsoever. And his children have kept his command to not uh, have 
wine or alcoholic beverages and not to consume drugs or any things of, of that part. I think it even included smoking. Um, in other words, he had observed, and this is what he had said, he had observed that people who do those things, that it's like crossing a threshold in which it can lead to a whole host of other misbehaviors and mistakes that can be made by a person. And so he set this threshold for his own family and for his own children to protect them and to keep them from ever falling into temptation or falling into uh, areas of abuse, self-abuse, uh, that sometimes alcohol and smoking and drugs can do. And we all know this. I mean, you know, this is common knowledge that the consumption of alcoholic beverages generally, while it might be an enjoyable activity as a food source, the fact of the matter is that if there's a flaw in your character, there's a weakness, if you will, that you'll have a tendency to that consuming of those items will find out that flaw, will find out that crack in your character, and will probably in your life exploit that. And, and it leads to drunken driving. It leads to a whole host of other mistakes that good people end up making uh, because of it. It is very clear that the Bible's definition of consuming of alcoholic beverages, that it's something to be done clearly in moderation. It's considered a food source, and like all food sources, it is not to be a gluttonous activity. Uh, it's not to be overly consumed for it, and the Bible is very clear about drunkenness is a not an acceptable social behavior. Well, as you know, in the world that we have today, it's almost in the, in the public square that drunkenness is like a, you know, everybody laughs at it. But the truth of the matter is that you get in your vehicle after you're drunk, if the cops stop you, you're going to jail for a DUI, and that's a major offense on your driving record. You do it enough times, they'll take your car away from you and your driver's license away from you. And, and we all know the stories about drunken drivers accidentally killing innocent people uh, on the roadways. In fact, my friends, um, if you go check the statistics, the deaths that occur in this country, far more people are killed by drunken driving than anything by guns you would think that the anti-gun lobby that is so hate guns so much, why don't they hate uh, in, uh, unlawful consumption of alcoholic beverages and the end results that it does? Because a drunk turns his car into something far more powerful than a gun and will kill multiple people at the same moment. Um, and uh, it this. <laughs> This is an interesting passage uh, when it comes to um, how far are you going to take it in terms of how circumspect will you be with regard to social behavior that's around you. I know a lot of my um, uh, certain Christian brethren that they will not partake of any alcoholic beverages whatsoever. I have no problem with them about that. Uh, me, I 
I have a, a, a Jewish culture, you know, we use wine um, to bless the Lord with. Uh, of, the, of all of the demographic groups there are in the world, the Jewish people have the lowest rate of um, alcoholism. And the reason we do is because we've all grown up consuming some wine or a liqueur as a way to bless the Lord. It's not done to be uh, crazy. Now, let me go ahead and, and modify that. There is one exception. On the holiday of Purim, uh, where we have the Purim party, you know, we tell the melodrama of the story of Mordecai and Haman and Esther and so forth, there is a tendency on the part of Orthodox Jews to overly consume um, alcoholic beverages as a part of that party of telling of the melodrama. And they think it's fun to get schnockered, you know, at the thing. The rabbis, I can tell you this, every year go around making all kinds of warnings before Purim comes, warning the Jewish people, do not do that. Do not consume to the point of inebriation and, and drunkenness. It serves no good thing. And that's basically true. It, it serves no good thing to, to go that far with it. So here's this story about this righteous group who had set up, uh, by their father, had set up a, um, a, a principle for his family, a commandment to his family, and the family honored the father's request. And the, print, the, the, the application here is, is that God has also set up some things for us that will protect us from future iniquity, sin, and transgression. Why don't we follow the example of the Rechabites? Why don't we listen to our Heavenly Father? Listen to His instructions, and that way we will be preserved. We will be kept from trauma and harm that comes to other people who disobey the Lord. Well, the parallel to the rest of Israel is striking, and that's the reason why uh, Jeremiah called on the Rechabites uh, to, to be an example and give a testimony uh, to Judah for it. So we have the people who made covenant with God, broke the covenant, and the, the, they incurred a greater punishment from the Lord. And we have the Rechabites that followed the simple example of their father who continued to be obedient to it. And if they were obedient to their earthly father, they learned to be obedient to their heavenly father. And by the way, let me, let me just say this very simple principle. Um, it, you know, how a earthly father behaves toward his children whether fathers, whether you realize it or not, you are teaching them how their heavenly father is going to be behaving in the future. If you are angry with your children, provoking your children, they will grow up with the idea that their heavenly father does the same thing. If you are merciful and compassion, but yet just and righteous, they will learn that God is all of those qualities too. And in fact, I will tell you, in the course of discipleship training that I have had done for me, as well as I have done for others that I have taken the responsibility to disciple, there is always this moment in discipleship training where you bring the person in and you need to have this sit-down uh, discussion 
of where you confront the person by saying the following, your heavenly father is not like your earthly father. And don't assign the mistakes of your earthly father to your heavenly father. And where you have to teach them the character of our heavenly father and how he is different and how he is wiser and how he is full, full of more mercy and compassion and wisdom than your earthly father was so that they can be reconciled to that situation and subconsciously not interfere with their relationship with God uh, because of, say, a poor example of their earthly father. One of the greatest things that you can hear out of anybody in the faith is when they have a good, strong faith in the Lord and they stand up and give testimony to how their earthly father or their earthly grandfather was kind, mature, and wise to them and trained them well. That is a person who is going to be spiritually balanced and probably will have greater spiritual success um, in the course of their life. And we have this example um, here in Jeremiah of those same principles. All right, we still have a little bit more time, so let's now look at chapter 36. And it came about in the fourth year of Joachim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll and write on it all the words which I have spoken to you concerning Israel and concerning Judah and concerning all the nations from the day I first spoke to you from the days of Josiah, even to this day. Perhaps the house of Judah will hear all the calamity which I plan to bring on them, in order that every man turn away his evil way. Then I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him on a scroll. Now, as I told you from the very beginning, Baruch was the scribe who worked with Jeremiah, and basically what we're reading in the book of Jeremiah is the handiwork of Baruch. The, you know, because what Jeremiah is saying, the Lord told me to say this, I went and said it. Well, it was Baruch who recorded that. And so what we're reading is what Baruch done. But here's a specific case of where Baruch was specifically instructed to write the scroll. And the purpose of it was, as he said, maybe it will be that in the latter days, after we've gone through a couple of kings, People will read this scroll and see how from history they've been warned again and again and again and again. And that maybe they'll say, how come we never heeded the warning? And maybe we should finally heed the warning. That was the idea uh, behind it. Um, verse 4 again, let me repeat. Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neri. And Baruch wrote at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken to him on a scroll. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am restricted. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. And by the way, at that point, he had been kicked out. They wouldn't let him in because he would go in and preach, and they didn't want to listen to him. So they forbid him from going into the temple. So you go and read from the scroll, which you have written at my dictation of the words of the Lord, 
to the people in the Lord's house on a fast day. And also you shall read to them all the people of Judah who come from their cities. <coughs> kind of an ingenious idea. I can't go in there, so I'll tell you what. I'll write out what I wanted to say, and you'll go in and you'll read it to him. And that's a way to bypass the ruling that was against him, and yet the words would be able to get into the people. Um, Perhaps this supplication will come before the Lord, and everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and the wrath that the Lord has pronounced against this people. And Baruch the son of Neriah did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. Now it came about in the fifth year of Joachim, the son of Josiah, kings of Judah, and in the ninth month, that all the peoples in, the, in, in Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. Then Baruch read from the book of the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Jeremiah, Gamaria, the son of Shaphan, the scribe, in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house to all of the people. Now when Mil- Milk- Milkiah, the son of Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard all the words of the Lord from the book, he went down to the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and behold, all the officials were sitting there. Elishema, the scribe, Delalaha, the son of Shemaiah, and a bunch of other guys. And Milkiah declared to them all the words that he had heard from Baruch, read from the book to the people. Then all the officials sent Yehudi, the son of Nathiah, and the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi, to Baruch, saying, uh, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read to the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and went to him. And they said, Sit down, please, and read it to us. So Baruch read it to them. Now it came about when they had heard all of the words, they turned in fear one to another and said to Baruch, We will surely report all these words to the king. And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? In other words, we know you have a relationship with Jeremiah. Is this what Jeremiah told you to write? Is basically what they're doing. Because they know Jeremiah is forbidden from being in there and speaking. Then the officials said to Baruch, Go hide yourself, you and Jeremiah, and do not let anyone know where you are. So they went to the king in the court, but they had deposited the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and they reported all the words of the king. Then the king sent to Yehudi to get the scroll, and so he took it out of the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and Yehudi read it to the king as well as all the officials who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning in the brazier before him, and it came about when Yehudi had read three or four columns, the king cut it with the scribe's knife and threw it into the fire, that was in the brazier, um, until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the brazier. Uh, yet the king and all of his servants who heard all these words were not afraid, nor did they read, uh, rend their garments, even though El, El Nathan and Delilah, whatever that name is, um, and let me just keep going, entreated the king not to burn the scroll. He would not listen to them. And the king commanded uh, Yermil, this king's son, Sephiah, the son of Azrael, and the Shelemiah, the son of 
uh, deal to seize Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Let's stop and think about this for a moment. So Baruch goes into the temple area and he reads what has been said. Now the word comes to other leaders in the temple that this is what Baruch has done. So they call for him to come read what Jeremiah dictated to you. And by the way, Jeremiah dictated this, didn't he? And this sounds like the words of Jeremiah. It sounds like the prophecy. of. It doesn't sound like we have a new prophet here. Uh, this sounds very reminiscent of the things that Jeremiah has said. And he admitted it. He said, look, you're going to need to hide, you and Jeremiah, because I'm pretty certain that the king are not going to like this because the king is the one that gave the command that Jeremiah is not supposed to go in the temple. So they go to the king, and they report it. There's no need to hide this. They report it, and sure as expected, uh, the king is very unhappy, and so he destroys the scroll, uh, shreds it, and burns it uh, to get rid of it. Now, at this point, uh, what do you think the Lord's going to think about that? I don't think the Lord's going to view this very good. Um, and as we're getting ready to find out, you know, the Lord is going to end up punishing him because they wouldn't receive the word even in that manner. <coughs> Let's uh, see if we can finish the rest of this chapter uh, for it. Uh, verse 27, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after the king had burned the scroll and the words with Baruch had written at the dictation of Jeremiah, saying, Take another scroll and write on it for all the former words that were on the first scroll, which Joachim, the king of Judah, burned. And concerning Joachim, king of Judah, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, You have burned this scroll, saying, Why have you written on it that the king of Babylon should certainly come and destroy this land, and shall make man and beast to cease from it? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Joachim, king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. I shall also punish him and his descendants and his servants for their iniquity, and I shall bring on them and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the men of Judah, all the calamity that I have declared to them, but they did not listen. Then Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to Baruch, the son of Neriah, the scribe, and he wrote on it of the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Joachim of Judah had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. You are looking at the second scroll. You are now reading some of it. Not only that which was given to the king that he destroyed, but additional words, as he says here. And the king did not stop anything. In fact, you and I have the benefit of this book uh, because of his behavior and because, you know, the Lord told Jeremiah and Baruch to, to reestablish it again. All right, we are at the completion of chapter 36, and in the next edition, we'll take up our study with beginning with chapter 37. Shalom to all of you. Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom.